You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, independent, listener-supported radio. I'm back, back in the New York blue. Brian. Scott. Football is back, Brian. Yes. And I've never needed it so desperately. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I know it. It finally came back with a pretty awesome slate of college football games. It's a very weird premise. You know, you asked last week, uh, you know, what was supposed to be happening. Did, you know, did, I don't know if you mentioned it on the air or you texted me asking if there were no NFL games this weekend because of college football. Did we ever get to the bottom of that? Yeah, I don't think so. I think it's because of the Labor Day weekend. They, the ratings tend to be not as high as they would otherwise, and the NFL yeah. just decides they, they'd rather not take a dip. Right. And so they just start the next week when they have the full attention of everybody. Right. Do you think the ratings for the NFL take a dip on Labor Day weekend because of social justice or just because people are at the pool? <laughs> I think I think it's because laborers are out picketing. <laughs> 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 and they can't watch as much football. No, I, yeah, I think people are eating hot dogs and stuff in their faces. Well, the flip to that, though, that's super weird is, you know, college football started doing this week zero thing. And a couple of years ago, they kicked it off with Florida, Miami, which I thought was kind of the perfect choice for an event like that. And it happens at a neutral site in Orlando. This year, college football's week zero was super weird. Felt like it was headlined by Illinois, Nebraska, which... <laughs> I mean, that's the only time either of those teams will be headlining anything this decade, I think. But uh, but then they came firing back this weekend with just five straight days of fun college football, which was amazing. And we can get into later. But all that was the antipast that's bringing us to the main course of week one in the NFL, New York Giants, Denver Broncos. I feel like my excitement is going to peak today. Yeah. And it's all going to be downhill from here. I know. I'm like, it's funny. I have two things in my head of like abject terror of like my excitement for the Giants, like my need for the Giants to start. I just need something to be interested in and watch and my weekends to not be sad and full of responsibilities. And I just need <laughs> something to look forward to every Sunday. And I'm really desperate for NFL season to start. And I'm just very concerned about that need coming face to face with the reality of the Giants team that we're about to put on the field <laughs> and actually watch play. <laughs> it's not going to be pretty, I don't think. I don't know. All right. So you, a couple weeks ago, we did a Mike and the Mad Dog style run through of the Giants schedule where you listed off, rattled off wins and losses about a couple weeks before Francesca did it with Bill Simmons, which we're also going to get to in a little bit here. But you rattled off Denver as a win. Are you still confident that Denver's a win? No, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm uh, confident it's a loss either. Like, I really don't know what to expect. You know, I really don't know what we're going to see when we take the field like we just saw so little right of actual the actual giant we, in fact we didn't see the actual giants play a single series like even when daniel jones played almost nobody else played there was no saquon there was no galladay there was no tony um you know so i don't know what to expect you know i really don't know who we're gonna get i you know the offense i can only assume you know i do think 
I don't think Jason Garrett, why we've talked about it ad nauseum, is a very creative or exciting offensive coordinator, but I also do think he was probably especially so in the preseason, right? Like they don't show what they're going to show. They're not trying to just, just like run some plays, get guys some work, see a few things. So like, I don't know what to expect. That is true. I guess preseason, you know, everybody's pretty vanilla, but when you're already French vanilla is your like baseline (laughs) flavor, (laughs) like regular vanilla, you're just a very crappy, you're like a Dixie cup vanilla ice cream. Really (laughs) no frills at all. (laughs) I know. It is, it does stink that like the giant ceiling as an offense is probably like frozen yogurt, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. We're like tasty, but still like a bummer ultimately. <laughs> right. I'll eat it. Yeah. And, like, like it's not okay. bad, but like I wish it was ice cream. Right. I wish it was ice cream. And then also at the end of it, you eat it and it's okay and you sort of enjoy it, but you're like, why did I do that? Why did I do that right. to myself? What? <laughs> what? Why did I just get ice cream? I'm doing right. it. There's calories in it either way. Like, yeah. why? what am I doing here? <laughs> should have just had a smaller portion of ice cream or a bigger portion. It really doesn't even matter. I shouldn't right. be doing this. Right. Yeah. I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, that's that's 100% right. I, I feel, okay, my optimism for the game is similar to what you're saying in that, and I do think that this is a big game for Saquon. Because I think he is, more than anything, the piece that we've been missing throughout all last season and throughout this entire preseason. You know, and I look, I get what the messaging has been around Saquon and why it's been that way. I really have been supremely confident this whole time he was going to play week one. I just couldn't imagine him not being ready for this week. And it looks like he is. And I do think that he's the one with the potential to really kind of change the offense. That him and Galladay and, you know, to a lesser extent, Tony, but they just open things up enough. Like, Galladay is just fast enough to get open despite the offensive line. Saquon is just skilled enough to sort of get his yards and to be enough of a threat to give to also buy Daniel Jones time. And Daniel Jones is a good enough deep passer that we can actually take advantage of just a little bit more time. And then all of a sudden, if we could run the ball and throw it to Galladay downfield, it opens up the offense in a way that we really haven't seen in a long time. And if that's what we see on Sunday and that's what we get, it could totally flip my perception of what this team is capable of. And that is what I'm trying to tell myself as of right now. But, well, go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the other thing that could flip the expectations is, like, how good is the Giants' defense? You know, it's like – because my baseline is, like, they're going to be a good defense, but I don't don't see a defense that is so good that, like – you know what I mean? We can can overcome a terrible offense. But I think there's a world in which – the defense is super impressive. You know, you're talking about it. Like I know the Broncos have weapons and they've drafted a lot of receivers, but like you're talking about, and I think Teddy Bridgewater is like a solid quarterback, whatever, but he's not a super dangerous quarterback. So like, he's a guy you could probably get after. Um, Does the giants defense come out and just look awesome, you know? And then you go, Oh, like maybe we're going to have like a top five defense, which then would change kind of what, the expectations or what kind of conversations you start having. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I definitely agree with what you're saying about our defense. I feel like maybe you're underestimating their offense a little bit. I, I'm really scared of their offense, and I'm really disappointed that Teddy Bridgewater lost that QB competition. Just because I did sort of think that they were going to at least start lock for the season just to be 100% positive that, you know, that's just not going to work out. Um, and so... Bridgewater wins it. And now, like you said, I don't think Bridgewater is necessarily a star or anything special, but he's an NFL quarterback, you know, and uh, he did not have a great season with the Panthers last year, but the Panthers weren't that good. He played really well when he filled in for Drew Brees with New Orleans, but New Orleans was really good. So if he has good weapons around him, he's shown he could be a good player. And they have... uh, who they have? They have Jerry. They have Jerry Judy. They just drafted this guy, this running back. Well, they got M- Melvin Gordon, and they drafted Javante Williams, who is sort of like the fantasy running back du jour, like the fantasy sleeper running back of the year. Even though we don't really play fantasy anymore, right? Um, you know, they have Cortland Sutton, so I feel like they have weapons all over the place. They have an NFL caliber starting quarterback. You know, I don't think their offensive line is you know top shelf but they're you know fine um and they're also really good defensively and so it just it feels like you know if if we can't get the offense going or even if we have the potential to get the offense going but look we just open up with a super talented defense in front of us and we have a really good offense I agree with you that our offense could make things harder for our defense and that you know if the offense is competent then the defense will take it up a notch but I'm really suspect that we're going to get some quality offense going in this game and their defense is good yeah I don't know enough about their defense I mean I know they have the two you know the ads ends but they're like both coming off injuries um you know Von Miller is great I mean is like an all-time great player but he's pretty old right yeah I don't know how old he is but right he's been around like he was on that Super Bowl team that. He's coming off a major injury. Yeah. Well, wait, Von Miller. What was his injury? I thought he. Uh, I thought I he opted know. out for COVID last year. Von Miller. I know that Bradley Chubb had ankle surgery in the off season, and he's had an injured ankle. But from what I'm reading, I think he's going to be ready to go on Saturday. Look, it's 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 definitely those two. You know, I think you're right. I do think Von Miller's getting on in years. Both guys are coming off of injuries or are in a weakened state. You know, counterpoint, our offensive line has been steaming hot garbage for several years all the way through the preseason. And, you know, Daniel Jones, who is a little turnover prone, uh, you know, they have a really established secondary. Actually, their secondary is awesome. And they were already loaded. And then the Broncos kind of surprised everybody in drafting Patrick Sertain instead of a quarterback. Um, so they added, you know, I, I, the Giants were really interested in drafting Sertain, actually. Yeah, I, I guess, I, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think, I mean, that's why I think it's a good match. It's like a good first game, but like, because they're not, like, it's not a great team, but they are talent. It's not a good you know, like if you win this game, it's a very impressive win. Um, and you need to play well on both sides, but it is right. winnable. Like this isn't a dominant team. I think they're going to be good defensively. I don't know that they're going to be as good 
you know, I, I mean, as, you know, I mean, I think there's major concerns there. I do think those two ends, I don't think you can pencil them in. And yeah, Von Miller, he, he missed all last year with an injury. Um, okay. He had a, a serious ankle injury. Um, and Brad, and so did Bradley Chubb. So like, yeah. Um, you know, I don't think it's like, oh, they're, you pencil them in their dominant group, but it's a good test. So I do feel like it's a nice opening weekend in that, like, it's a winnable game that's going to tell us a ton about the team, like, right off the bat, you know? Right. Like, yeah. if we're outclassed by this team, it's a terrible sign, you know? Well, no, right. That, and but that, if I we guess beat that's... them, it's a great sign, you know? Like, it, so it's, it's both ways. No, you're 100% right. I guess I was kind of walking right up to saying it, but was reluctant to say it. But that's the, I guess that's what's in my head right now is that, I do think that if they kick us in the teeth, then we hit the panic button instantly. Like right, that no. means we <laughs> yeah. stick, yeah, you no. know, like we're in right. big trouble. And I was thinking actually, <laughs> all right, now, now I'm just going to show my cards since you did. I didn't want to go that far, but now I'm just, I was panicking in the shower earlier, just to give you the entire <laughs> visual of it. But <laughs> I was thinking to myself, like, if we get killed by the Broncos and I see a path to getting killed, yeah, I yeah. feel like, you know, if we get killed, I don't think, I think at that point, Gettleman has to go right away. What do we need him <laughs> for like, at this point? No, because if the Broncos beat us, they will have exploited every failure of the Gettleman era because, all right, here's the first thing I'm really worried about is Barkley. I think that him coming back really is, the key. He has to be good. He has to, he can't just be good. He has to be a guy you take number 2 overall in the draft even though it doesn't make sense to draft that position that like he has to be that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm actually really worried that he won't be that because yes, he's coming off of injury, he's in great shape and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why was he so bad against Pittsburgh last year? Why was he so bad against Chicago last year? I know they had good defenses. I know those are two good teams. He's supposed to be a really good player, and he was a disaster. I mean, it wasn't just him. He had no blocking, but he did nothing special to just overcome the limitations. Yeah, well, you're talking about literally one game. And a half. <laughs> yes. No, no. But it was week one and sort of week two, and it just it's making me nervous. I'm not using it to condemn Barkley. I'm just saying it makes me nervous. That's the first thing. The second thing... Part of why it makes me nervous, the offensive line. Can they deal with these ankle twins, the Chubb and, and, and Von Miller? Can they deal with them? Can we block for Saquon? Can we give Daniel Jones time? And then Daniel Jones, can he throw into that secondary in that Vic Bangio defense? Can he, you know, get things to where they need to be? And can he throw the ball downfield? Like, that's how we're going to beat this team. And then we're going to stop them on defense with all their, their playmakers. That's how we're going to win. Like, we need Galladay to be better than Kyle Fuller or, you know, their other corner, uh, whoever that is, and Sertain. Like, Galladay needs to be a difference maker with those guys on the field. So, I do think that also what you're saying that's true is that this is a perfect test for us. But if we fail the test noticeably, then it means Gettleman's entire way of life has failed. <laughs> I mean, again, I, I don't think, I mean, one, they're not going to fire him after week one. I know. Like, I agree with you in the sense that, like, I think if they looked really bad and got beat bad, like, yeah, I think you can go ahead and, like, hit the panic button immediately and, and right. be, like, really concerned. Now, it doesn't yeah. mean that 
it, it guarantees they're going to have a bad season or there's no path to like having a good season if they look bad in this first game. But I do agree with you that like if, and I think they can lose the game and you can feel okay about it. But I do agree that like, if they get smacked and I also think you're right, like this team's good enough to do it. They could do it. Um, it would be, I would, I would be immediately very alarmed and concerned. And I think that this definitely possible, but I think the flip side is like, if they won the game, you know, you would, you could also go the other way quickly. You could be like, Oh, and I think it would be a fair response to like, like I think an overreaction to this game either way is fair. <laughs> right. It's appropriate. Yeah. yeah. So listen, that's great. I, I love where we're landing right now. I love nothing more than to overreact. I'm right. really good at it. I do it all the time. I'm like poised to do it at every inflection point. So yeah, let's overreact. I'm excited to do that. Is it appropriate? So it, let's, let's stick with just for one second. If they get smacked, if they get smacked, like, this won't happen. You're right. Gettleman needs to be fired immediately. And I also think it's appropriate that he has to be fired at midfield naked before the next game. <laughs> <laughs> just, and I just want to be very clear here that this, I don't want to see him naked. That's right. not, like, I don't want to, that's not for my enjoyment. Right. I just, I believe in justice. <laughs> and I think the punishment should fit the crime. Right. And, and when you go about making just absurd move after absurd move and and steep yourself in arrogance that's that's justice right. that's it just it's just accountability <laughs> right i don't make the rules brian i'm just following them but you're also right if they win then like especially considering the nfc east if if we win the game then we should be immediately jolted to the front of the nfc east in my opinion no, I agree. Everyone talks week one is like, whatever, overreaction Monday is like the following week. I do think in the Giants case, like whatever the result, it, it's like the, it, it lends itself to it. And I think it's a justified overreaction. No matter what, I think you're right. Like, let's say they go out there like this team is good enough that a, like, let's say the Giants win by 10, you know, and it's like 27, 17 or something. Like, I think if you then want if I want to come on here that next Tuesday, really pumping my chest, puffing my chest out about the Giants, I, I will feel justified. Like, it'll be a good, solid victory. Yeah. So yeah, if you no. couldn't ask for a better week one opponent for this Giants team, where the franchise is, um, what we are all trying to get to, it's like, it is a perfect game. You're 100% right. And just like any perfect situation, everything could be amazing you could have an amazing view tasty food drinks are flowing you know good looking people as far as the eye can see you're in a great spot if someone rips a gross fart in that room you're still gonna hate being in that room no matter all the other good stuff that's happening and i don't i you're right we belabor the point i don't need to smell the jason garrett fart in the room too deeply i'm just saying he makes me worried because I also think that part of this victory has to be the Giants coming out and offensively really surprising us. Like, and and I'm not saying I do worry that Jason Garrett is a limitation on that because I don't think he's going to call any plays that that surprise us. But I do think that once we do have all our talent on the field at once, we're in a position where 
this is the most talent we've ever had together on the field on offense at the same time for Daniel Jones. And maybe it's magic. Yeah. I mean, I hear you. I'd like to see the offense look good. Like I guess there's like a win is a win. I would never be like, Oh, we didn't look good offensively if we won 13, 10 or something. And that's right. bad, but it would, it would be really nice to just see like, boy, I mean, Daniel Jones, I haven't seen him over 300 yards since 2019. So right. that would be a great place to start, you know, like multiple touchdowns and 300 yards for Daniel Jones would be a really nice thing to have happen. <laughs> yes, yes, it sure would. It would make the first day of school the next day a lot easier. I'll tell you that right now. It sure would. Um, okay, so how nervous does it make you that the Giants are home dogs? I mean, you know, no more nervous than I would be otherwise. Um, that seems deserved, you know? Yeah. It is deserved. It's sad that it's deserved. But it's deserved. I'm not putting any money on the Giants. I'll tell you that. No if you wanna... way. <laughs> no way. I would never. I wouldn't touch this game. I wouldn't touch anything about us. I wouldn't touch this game. I wouldn't touch our over-under. I wouldn't touch... You know, yeah, nothing. I guess you know if, if you wanted to bet on the Giants this year, or if you if you're someone who thinks the Giants are going to be good this year and you're super confident about it, then probably your best bet is to uh, place a bet on Saquon Barkley for Comeback Player of the Year. Right. What are they? They're what three point underdogs? Two and a half. Yeah, two and a half, three. Yeah, if they've been in that range. So, I mean, they think we're close, but they just think, you know. I don't know. I mean, when you're a three-point underdog at home, like, right. they, they think that other team's better than you. Yeah, they, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. How is Vegas so right? How do they know? They, like, have it so well situated. I don't know. Well, just, it's more that I don't think they know. I think they just know what the money is. Like, I think everybody knows. Collectively, we all know. And Vegas just sees where the money goes in such detailed fashion. Yeah, I guess. But it always does seem to be like right on the, like about right, you know, like, I don't know, like it always feels about right for what the game is, who the teams are. Right. Um, No matter what math you try and sit down to do for yourself, it's just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're good at it. You know, there's a lot of money on the line. (laughs) Right. Right. So speaking of uh, gambling, Well, you know, obviously right now, podcasts, so many podcasts about sports are simultaneously about gambling. People are giving out picks. People are sponsored by casinos. By the way, we do not have a gambling sponsorship on this podcast. So if you are an executive at one of the, uh, you know, online gaming casinos, you know, look, we're open for business. Okay. Uh, you know, we, we're free agents and, right. uh, we will be whores for DraftKings, Caesars, and right. Bet, whoever you need. We don't care. Right. Plaster it all over our websites and <laughs> right. Don't miss the boat. Faces, t-shirts. Tattoos. We're, we're willing. We're, we're for sale. Absolutely. We are. Uh, but in the meantime, we're in business for ourselves. That's fine. No big deal. And, uh, so all these podcasts are coming out and, and recently Bill Simmons had Mike Francesa on. Uh, both Simmons and Francesa are formative influences on you and I. 
um, in the sports media landscape. And, you know, if it were 20, 15 years ago and those two got together, it would be a, an event. It would be appointment viewing. Um, but you, you <laughs> wouldn't even watch it recently, would you? I didn't. I didn't listen to it. I wouldn't. I have no interest. It is so weird to me. You're right. Like 10 years ago, I guess, maybe longer. Ten, I, ten years ago, I would have been like, "What?" You know, like, yeah. like, wow, awesome! Like a full podcast with the two of them, like, amazing. And now it is like nails on a chalkboard, both of them. Like, I just have no interest <laughs> in hearing what they have to say or their banter or jokes. I don't know why that is. I don't like. I, I mean, I guess I know why it is, but well, why is it? I, I don't know. Like Simmons, I just like. I do think we talked about it once before. I thought we had a really interesting kind of conversation about how Zach Lowe and his ilk like won the sports writing wars over yeah. like the Bill Simmonses of the world. And Bill Simmons at one point seemed like the most influential writer on the internet. And now most right. of his, I think even his writing has aged like milk, I would say. Like when you go <laughs> wa- read his old stuff, like it's really gross, most of it. And yeah. like nobody writes like him anymore and wouldn't. Um, and for the best, I think, you know, yeah. like, and even though at the time I remember it seemed like such a breath of fresh air and a guy writing the way conversationally and funny and like irreverent. And now it like, you know, nobody writes like that. <laughs> like right. the only guy who's even still out there is like Drew Maggery, um, who still kind of is, I think, but even he's evolved, um, in a way Simmons didn't or won't, or basically Simmons just quit writing because it's hard and podcasting is easier. Because, um, <laughs> like, you don't have to formulate your ideas and, like, get them all neatly down. You just vomit them out. And that's right. why I, I like doing this, whereas, like, I can, if, you know, what we've tried to do, like, a blog for this show, yeah. and it's impossible. It's hard. You got to, like, really sit there and edit. Um, and with Mike, like, you know, his show just got so, like, him without the dog, like, just no fun anymore. It was just this, like, egomaniac, hostile to his audience, <laughs> almost didn't seem to even enjoy sports anymore. Like, you know what I mean? He brought no joy to it. It was just about his own ego and his own opinions and his own rightness. Yeah. Um, he got, no he, fun. he, he ended up alone. At a time, at a time in his life when people start to turn grumpy anyway, right? <laughs> it really just exacerbated the problem. He's right. like, oh, he's like Uncle Junior on house arrest. He just got too squirrely in there. Right, right. He brought brings no fun to it, other than I'm right and you're wrong, and like he's wrong all the time. And like I used to so respect, and I still think my, you know, I think Mike Francesa knows his sports. You know what I mean? But like. I don't think he really did a great job of like doing the work of continue, you know, like evolving your opinions and taking in these kind of new realities of what we know about sports and incorporating that into his opinions and like stopped watching the games with any like real intensity where like you really wanted to know what he thought. Um, And then, I don't know, I guess his like Trump support is probably what ultimately like killed, killed it for me. Um, it just became such an unrelenting asshole. Yeah, I do think there's definitely an element of both guys where they are 
definitely firmly in the camp of I'm not the problem. You guys are the problem. Right. Or like my point of view on the world has been right for a long time. You're the one with the new point of view on the world. So get to the back of the line because I'm already here at the front. Right. Like I do think that the both of them sort of have that in their nature where, you know, they don't like to be questioned. They don't like their worldview to be questioned or their way of doing things. And it's off-putting. It's really <laughs> off-putting. And with Simmons, too, it's that smarminess. It's just that, like, oh, if everyone was just as smart as me, then... But that smirking... Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's just something about it. I just, like, have no interest in what he has to say anymore. I don't know. Like, um, and look, whatever. <laughs> Nobody has any interest in hearing what I have to say. They'd much rather <laughs> hear what he has to say. But as a consumer of it, I just, like, have lost it. You know, and I like The Ringer a lot of stuff about it and like i think he's built a good site and he does good documentaries and he's got a good he's got good taste i heard him say that about himself once i think that's true um but yeah i don't know like as far as consuming sports guy content even this that name now sounds so ridiculous the sports i know guy, that's true you know? like now he's bill simmons and it would just be preposterous Right, you would only call him sports guy derisively right. at this point. <laughs> right, right. Sports guy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Something's changed. Who are your, aside from me, who are your favorite members of the sports media? Um, that's a good question. Um, you know, I still like... Um, Robert Mays a lot. I think his show yeah. is still good. I like Kevin Clark a lot also still. I think he's good. Um, I like Mina Kimes um, on ESPN. Um, Where do you stand on the pardon the interruption, guys? Like Wilbon and Kornheiser? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good one. I still like that. Like, I can still tune into that show, like... Um, but I mean, I don't watch it on any regular basis. Um, but I don't feel like they've curdled in the, in the way that I, you would think they have. Um, no, I, I had a run where, uh, I would like when I was teaching virtual phys ed and you know, that's hard, <laughs> like, sort yeah. of. you know, what do you think yeah, about it? Yeah. But, uh, I went on a run there in the winter where I would just like find on YouTube, find the big finish of every episode of. Uh, pardon the interruption and i would just like for the last like two minutes of class just play the big finish for everybody like hey here's what's going on in sports and it's good i like those two they yeah. definitely like you know I, I just i like their shtick they're some old people that i could still tolerate in sports right media. resisting evolution a little bit but like not overtly and not confrontationally and like i think they're still interesting to hear with them. Like I, I still like those two guys. They're, and also right. Tony Cornyn is just a really likable personality. <laughs> yeah. I would also just say too, they're like less sure of what themselves, right? Like Simmons and Francesa have a way of just being like, well, this is a fact. And if you don't see it, you're an idiot. Right. Right. I know. And I find as I get older, if there's anything that has changed about me, it's that I have much less confidence in the rightness of my opinions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think you should. The more information you have, the less sure you should be of yourself. Right. How could you know? There, there's so many smarter people than you. Like, you know, like, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if we talked about this. Like, I, I've talked to you about it, like, on the show. But 
our mutual friend and I, who used to run a website together back in my 20s, which I think you might have guest appeared on, which we call was, no, yeah. no laughing.com, which was yeah. like a comedy website that we were trying as like 20 somethings. And he's still had the domain up all these years later, like 20 years later. And he wants to shut it down. He sends me the link and he's like, do you want any of this stuff? And I'm reading some of my old writing. And I mean, it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Just horrible. And like, not even the quality of the writing, but the quality of the content. It was just like garbage. I was like, burn it with fire. Don't let anybody see this or <laughs> read it. You know, and it was like the evolving times. Like, the jokes were so, everything so grotesque. I wanted to like grab the guy who wrote this and be like, you know, pedophilia can be amusing, but it's not that funny. <laughs> it's not super funny, you know, like maybe occasionally you can throw it in there, but it's not like those topics. And that is to me, like the changing thing is like, you can still make a joke about anything, but you should be thoughtful about it when you are uh, doing it for those kinds of themes. Like, you know, and people get all upset, like, what, you can't make a joke about the Holocaust anymore? It's like, no, you can. But if you do, you gotta, it should have some real thought behind it. Like, right. you should make yeah. sure that this is something that needs to be said. And I do feel like I was like a young 20-something guy, just like, yeah. just vomiting anything that came into my mind. It's like, anything that comes into your head is not necessarily needed in the public sphere. In fact, opposite. Most opposite. of what comes in your head is for you only. Right. So, like, I, I'm like, I, I mean, you know, now you feel almost grateful for the guardrails that society is finally putting up of, like, if you're talking about this or that, like, yeah, consider it. And right. make sure it's something you wish to put out into the universe. Right. The standards are rightfully high. Right. On right. certain things, as they should be. Right. And you should you should be grateful for it. It gives us all some like structure about live, and not everything is just like, oh, I had a thought the other day while I was masturbating, and now I'm going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe wait 15 minutes and decide if that if you need to tell the world about you know whatever you were thinking. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think so. Mina Kimes had some interesting tweets uh, yesterday about the whole Brian Kelly thing. Yeah. Where, you know, after Notre Dame won uh, in at Florida State, he said he's an execution guy. And then he I made some that, yeah. stupid joke about executing. The, maybe we should execute the whole team. Or I can't, you know, I don't know the yeah, direct yeah. quote. It was a bad joke. It was certainly tasteless, as, as many people pointed out. A, a student manager for Notre Dame football died on Brian Kelly's watch. Right, right. So that was also just in really bad taste. And, but Mina Kimes was sort of pointing out, it's like, okay, like I get, you know, it was a bad joke. It was stupid. It was a bad look. And he's rightfully getting dragged for it, but he's not getting canceled. Like nobody's yeah. calling for it. You know, nobody should be angry about it because it's not happening. It's, it, it is like, I do think that people who are worried about cancel culture don't understand that people are still going to be sort of like publicly shamed when they're tone deaf for 24 to 48 hours, as is appropriate when 
you know, you're a public idiot. People are going to call you out and yeah, you get yeah. called out and it's embarrassing for a couple days. And then you move on as I'm sure we all will, as we all did with Drew Brees last year, cancel culture is not out of control. It's very rare that someone is unfairly canceled, but occasionally people get called out for their shit. Yeah, I will say this. Like, I do think that social media is such that if you're a prominent person, it's just, it feels really overwhelming. Like, and I don't know if you saw, um, if you watch, how much of the US Open tennis you watched? Um, Not a ton. But I don't know if you, did you catch Naomi Osaka's kind of brief little mini meltdown during her match? Yeah, well, I saw, I didn't see it, on, but yes, I've seen it. I mean, it was kind of wild. Like, she was in control of the match, and then, you know... <laughs> loses a bad you know when loses a set that looked like she had it in hand and then she just she did just kind of melt down for a few minutes and like not that other players haven't done like in fact Djokovic at the olympics had a very similar thing happen where he started throwing his racket and then he kind of left the court in a huff and and look he's rebounded and i'm sure she will too but then she even said she's going to kind of take some time off but you could just see it totally get to her and she kind of unraveled and you know in my head i'm kind of like naomi osaka is like seemingly going through this crisis that is because of like listening to critics and you're like who's a critic of Naomi Osaka everybody loves her she's done nothing but win and you're like Naomi like you want to be like everybody everybody's rooting for you like there really isn't this and also nobody cares that much about tennis to begin with like you're really not (laughs) under that kind of pressure that you think you are you know yeah but it feels like it when you go on Twitter and there you're trending and and you know back in the day and there was another athlete who kind of lost, who said same thing that now she's going to open up her Instagram and people are going to be giving her death threats and calling her fat. And like, and you're like, yeah, I get that. And like, you can't escape from it because now too, it's like a big part of marketing yourself and how you earn money is like being, having Instagram followers and Twitter followers and whatever. Like back in the day when this stuff was confined to talk radio, you know, okay. Some yahoos are calling in a mic and the dog and they're screaming, but like, now they're like, you open up your phone and they're like yelling at you directly and really meanly. And now they, and they have like an anonymity to it. I, and I think it's any prominent person, right? Like you, you know, if you're a comedian and you make a joke that people like, it is one thing to get criticized and maybe sometimes it's deserved, but it does probably feel like an onslaught, you know, it's like thousands of messages like pouring at you. Um, and I do think it's like we're in this weird new world. I think you're seeing with athletes kind of having these freakouts. Like they're just under the, the microscope. Probably it feels beyond what it really is. Like nobody's yeah. that invested in women's tennis that like. Right. But I'm sure that you feel like this unbelievable pressure. No, and I totally agree. And I think where I have found, you know, some of it with Simmons, at least sort of distasteful is I feel like Naomi, Naomi Osaka makes it about herself, right? Like, or where she's just like, I'm having difficulty dealing with all this, all this pressure, all these expectations and the social media, like I'm going to take a break because I need a break for me. And I like, I totally respect that. What I have less respect for, I guess, and, you know, we could get into how appropriate it is to judge other people and so on and so forth. But what I have more of a problem with is, like, I am off Twitter because everyone on there sucks. Right. Like, (laughs) you know, versus, like, I'm off of social media because I need to, like, remove myself from that for my own 
well-being. Whereas I think Simmons is just like, well, I'm off social media because I can't make any joke I want without people having a problem with it. Right, right. And it's like, yeah, poor you. Uh, you know, like that's more where I, I lose respect for it. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I agree. There's just something about his arrogance that's just become a turnoff in the, the years that have, you know, like he got to, he was like a good, I mean, I do. So I'll say this. I do sometimes miss his old Friday picks column. Like I yeah. wish he had just done that forever. And that was a really fun piece of writing that he did a really good job of every week. Um, and nobody kind of has replicated it um, in a satisfying way. Totally and agree. It was a great, and I don't think his podcast doesn't, doesn't fill that hole for me. Like I, I don't, I can't listen to it in the way that I read that and enjoy it. I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree. And part of my ritual, you know, I think some of it's just life, right? Like I used to, I came home from work on a Friday afternoon when I was living by myself, I would fall down on the couch, pull out my phone and, or laptop even earlier than that. And just like spend a good, 20 minutes to a half hour totally engrossed in that article with nothing else in the world to matter and i feel like yeah. i miss that lifestyle as much you know, as i, I do the sometimes i mean it's funny because when i'm saying on the one hand i have no use for the guy and then on the other voice i am like there is like a missing person like that in sports writing like yeah it's gotten so you know analytics and x's and o's and like i miss somebody who just like makes a stupid analogy to like the Goonies to describe why, you know, like <laughs> right. there is, there is a void there of like, it isn't that serious, you know, like, and now it's all <laughs> like EPA per play is this and look at this X, Y concept. Like, you know, right. you are kind no, of, like, you're right. Whatever. <laughs> Daniel yeah. Jones stinks. I don't need to know. Like, <laughs> You know what I mean? He stinks because he looks like he should be an extra in Caddyshack 2 or whatever, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm looking for more than he missed the dig route and the Giants, you know, like offense is too predicated on, you know, whatever. Their yeah. EPA for rush is 0.1. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a very, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. And I think you're right. And the best you and I could do at this point, as we've already acknowledged, we've tried writing. It's hard. Yeah, right. We no, should be filling that hole, but right. it's too, we... I'm way too lazy and tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, sad. As much as I would like to be the person that fills that void, I know I'm not, and I know right. I'm not going to be, but I want somebody really awesome to fill it so that I can return to coming home from work on Friday and reading something. Right, right. That's Someone please do that for me. With that said, Brian, although you have moved on from present day Mike Francesa, we're going to keep olden times Mike Francesa alive. And you and I are going to pick games in week one for the league that plays for pay. All right, Brian. Have you gambled on any of the uh, futures for the NFL and anything week one? What do you got? What do you got for us? I haven't done anything. So I, I this all still future for me. This is where I'm at, Scott. I will be gambling on this NFL season as I do every year at my little system that I've devised where I put a little. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
scratch on the season. I start with week one with a little pool of money and then I try to make it last all year to the until I get to the Super Bowl where I let it all ride on the Super Bowl. Now, the first two years I did this, I made it to the Super Bowl and one year I lost and one year I won. Last year, <laughs> I think I ran out of money in about week 12. So that was depressing. <laughs> so this year I will be back at it. Um, the problem is that I am waiting until I get paid on Friday. <laughs> Before I put the scratch. Because that's where I'm at in my life. <laughs> 40 so years exactly old. exactly the kind of person still... who should be gambling. Right. On, on football. Right. I got to wait for the money to actually arrive before I bet it away. <laughs> That's great news. <laughs> I mean, I'm exaggerating to some extent my financial situation, but I am I am choosing to wait until a fresh load of cash comes in before I make the picks. But we can right. run through it. We can we can look at the games and see where where we're headed here. All right. So, well, I I I was actually in New Jersey yesterday. Uh, I visited my parents yesterday. And I did the same thing as you. I don't live in New Jersey, so it's going to be harder for me to be consistent. But at times, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to dabble. And, and this is one uh, instance where I wanted to take advantage of some of, you know, I've listened to a lot of stuff and I wanted to take advantage of, uh, of, of some bets. So a couple things. Uh, one thing, actually, I gleaned from that Francesa Simmons podcast was Mike is all over the Saints, loves the Saints thinks the Saints are going to go way over. And I kind of don't agree. I think that's crazy. And I've seen some other people write differently. And this was, I think, I guess this was before the hurricane. So he did think they'd play in the Superdome, but I don't know. Everybody loves Jameis. Like, yeah. Wh- why? <laughs> I don't know. Cause I like Jay. I like Jameis. I went from thinking I was alone as being somebody who liked Jameis to now being like, can everyone pump the brakes on Jameis? Like, yeah. <laughs> He threw 30 interceptions. I used to be like, right, he threw 30 touchdowns, 5,000 yards. Like, he's talented to like, look, I think there's a chance he's very good this year. I I mean, but people seem way too confident about it. Right. Way too sure of themselves. And there's a lot of other weirdness with that team. Like, I don't know what's going on with Michael Thomas. They're not going to play in New Orleans for a long time. Their defense scares me because we have them in week three or four. But anyway, I wanted to bet against Francesa and this puts a little juice on the Saints Giants game that's going to happen in the first quarter of the season so I bet the Saints for under nine for the season I bet uh under nine wins oh wow yeah I have been reading so much about Denver in preparation for week one and this Javante Williams that I took the over on his uh rushing yards to the season at 775 and a half uh I took the Browns to win their division. Okay. And over the Ravens. Yes. And Steelers, I suppose. I took the Pats and the Niners to make the playoffs. Okay. And I I picked the Bills to be the one seed in the AFC as a bet of solidarity with my brother-in-law, who is evidently a Bills fan. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the Patriots because I'm cur- I've been wanting to talk to you about this. The Mac Jones 
hype train seems to have left the station. Yep. And a lot of like offensive rookie of the year talk, whatever. And the guy, I feel like everybody seems to want to talk themselves into one of the other quarterbacks from this class. Like Trevor Lawrence is going to be awesome. Right. Like I have no doubt about it. I feel like there's this like desire to put doubt on that. Like, and and he had like one shaky preseason game and it was like, Oh my God, urban Myers ruining him and the offensive line stinks. And like, and I, they'll probably be bad this year, but like, that guy, I watched one. I watched the preseason game he played bad in, and I watched the one he played really good in. He's going to be awesome. Like, and I don't know, you know, Zach Wilson. Maybe he's going to be really good too. Maybe Justin Fields is going to be really good too. Maybe Trey Lance. Maybe, maybe this is like 1983 all over again. But everybody's excited to me. It seems like about every other one of these guys, and I'm like, no, Trevor Lawrence is the best, and he went number one because he's the best of all of them. And he's like this freakish mix of size and arm and speed and strength. And like, I, I don't know. I just like, what, what am I missing? I agree with you. I just think it's urban Meyer has managed to overshadow him to yeah. a degree up to this point. And I think it's going to flip once the games start and he actually has a chance to show something in games that matter where the outcome can be attached to him. And, you know, Moreover, I think that Urban will start to sort of drift into the background and then we'll start to appreciate his talent. I just think that Mac Jones is in a better situation. And so it's not so much that he'll be better than Trevor Lawrence, but that the Patriots are going to be better than the Drag Jaguars. And so Mac Jones is in just a lot more conversations overall about, you know, like rookie of the year, forget. Like, I, you know, I don't really know or care about that, but it's more like, well, the Pats are going to be in the mix and they're going to have this rookie starter. And so that's going to be a bigger story where I don't think anyone really expects the Jags to be in the mix. Yeah, I hear that. I guess I'm just like surprised how like a little, and I'm a little surprised. I mean, I'm curious how you, because you, you like know Urban Meyer pretty well. Like, are you Bounce. sure that he's going to be bad? Do, do you feel like he's a disaster waiting to happen down there? No. In fact, I did years ago. I guess it was before they hired Shermer, maybe. Jordan Renan was saying that the Giants should go hard after Urban Meyer. And I was just like, that's ridiculous. I mean, he's not a pro coach. It's just in his, like, he's a control freak. He's a dictator. He's an authoritarian. None of that would mesh with the pro game. I don't think he would handle pro players well at all. Like, that was really how I felt a few years ago. But... You know, Urban Meyer is, I don't even know. I have a very toxic relationship with Urban Meyer. I, I hate him, but I'm so intertwined with him and there's love in there somewhere right. with the hate. And <laughs> right. it's he did very, give you a great moment, right? Yeah, yeah, right. But he also gave me a gut-wrenching one True. too. So anyway, I have a weird abusive relationship with Urban Meyer and like any sort of person who's on the receiving end of a relationship like that, I stalk him on social media and uh, I watch a lot of like the Jaguar, you know, every team now they have their like little, their own little hard knocks that they do for themselves on YouTube. So I watch the Jags one and I watch Urban Meyer and honestly, I'm not, I I've turned where I think now he's gone to like kind of underestimated. I mean, I think that he could do things well. And I think that people want him to fail. And I think that there is a lot of people who want him to get his comeuppance. 
like for him to get his arrogance just fed right back to him and, and for him to get spit out by the NFL, I wouldn't bet on that happening. And I don't also wouldn't use Nick Saban as a template or any like Steve Spurrier. That was a different era. I Nick Saban too, to me is always like Nick Saban quit. Like he went like eight and eight, two years in a row and then bailed. Like, you know, it's not a given that Nick Saban was like not going to work out as a college coach. I know like some haven't worked, but right. If you were going to pick a guy in college who to me would translate pretty well, I would urban Meyer would be at the top of the list. Like he's already carries himself like a pro coach. Um, he doesn't have some like quirky offense, you know, that like doesn't seem to scale. Like, so I don't, you know, I don't get why there seems to be such confidence that he is already a I mean, I know it's because one, he didn't do himself any favors. Like his first move was like bringing in Tim Tebow. Um, and so it's like, oh, is he, is that what's going to happen? He's just like, he doesn't kind of understand the NFL game and he's going right. to be bringing in his buddies or his favorites from college. But like, look, he cut Tim Tebow. So he brought him in, probably liked the cultural thing that he was going to bring for, you know, or, and whatever, maybe he just loves the kid and he wanted to give him a chance. And like, what's the harm? Um, yeah. Like Deuce Gruden has a job in the NFL. Like, I don't, you know, it's not that unusual. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of nepotism all over the NFL. I don't think it's super weird that this guy brought in Tim Tebow. And I also think, I, I do think that I think football, anything football related should be fine for urban Meyer. And, and like you said, because I do think there are people who have convinced themselves too, that he does have this offense, this college offense, this spread weird, you know, thing like he rose to prominence at Utah uh, with this triple option where there was like the shovel pass was the pitch. Instead of the pitch going outside, the pitch actually went inside. And I don't think I've seen an Urban Meyer offense run that in 15 years. So I don't think that he's necessarily married to an offense anyway. And he hired Daryl Bevel as his offensive coordinator who was in Seattle for Russell Wilson. So that's just like not a college offense really at all. And they're trying to groom Trevor Lawrence similar to Russell Wilson, I think was more the point of that hire. I think the actual adjusting Urban's going to have to do has nothing to do with football and just everything to do with the media, where it's different. In college, when you're the head coach of a top program in a region, nobody in the press messes with you. Nobody gives you a hard time. No one's like, why is he bringing in Tebow? They're just like, oh, he's bringing in Tebow. Brilliant. You know, like, but in the NFL, they're going to be like, what's he doing? Right. (laughs) So, and then I think he's called out. It's like, what do you mean? What am I doing? I'm Urban Meyer. I do what I do. And then you tell me that it's awesome. I think that's where he needs to adjust. Right. Right. I agree with you. I think football, as a matter of fact, now I'm regretting not taking the Jags over. Right. Because what's it got to be? Who's betting the Jags over? You got to have pretty good odds for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, they could be awful. Like they, you know, they were one in 15 last year. Um, And it's not like they got terrible quarterback play actually last year, but like, yeah, it's a huge upgrade. And I'm just not convinced that he's like an out and out disaster. I've just been surprised um, at how much Trevor Lawrence has not been. I mean, it's because he's in Jacksonville. It's not a sexy franchise. And the the assumption is the team will stink. Yeah. Um, So I get it, but it's just still surprising to me that the hype seems to be going everywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But I think it's also too, it's just there. It's like such a rookie QB. There's so many rookie QBs that are either 
like so obviously talented that they should be the team starter or already are the team starter. Yeah, no, I mean they're all interesting. It's one of the more interesting yeah. quarterback classes ever. Yeah, and I think that's part of the Trevor Lawrence stuff too. Is he's he's naturally he's the best one, so he's on the worst team. Yeah, but everybody what else. With, what is with the Dalton decision? What like what is it based on? Even a little. Well, I guess the the most compelling argument I've heard for it is that the bears have a killer opening schedule, especially in terms of the defenses they face. So if they don't think they're, you know, like if, if maybe if the bears thought they were just a good quarterback away from being a legit contender, maybe they would just go with fields similar to how the Pats are going to handle Mac Jones. But if they think like, look, we're probably not going to be great. Even if we start fields, let's make Dalton take the punishment from the first four defenses, (laughs) then get fields to take us the rest of the way and see where we're at at the end of the year. I mean, like, do you really use, like, a quarterback as, like, literal cannon fodder to just <laughs> I mean, maybe punishment? And then when you're re- when you feel that, like, you, that's, I don't know, it just seems odd to me. And, like, Andy Dalton just, you know, it's been a long time since Andy Dalton was a good player. Like, people talk about Alex Smith. Alex Smith was at the top of his game when that happened. Like, right. Andy, he led the league in passing that year or something. You know, they were really good. Andy Dalton, who at one point like was better than people remember, but one that those heights still weren't that high, and two were like three or four years removed from it. Yeah, like it's been a long time since Andy Dalton was even an average starting quarterback. No, so I agree. I, I just he don't, stinks. I don't get it. I want to be clear: if I was a Chicago Bears fan, I would be livid. Right. But... It's just like enough of this. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. I don't get it. But then again, I'm a New York Giants fan, and I'm livid that we didn't draft Justin Fields. Right. So that's I'm very interested to see Justin Fields too, just because I'm still I don't know torn. I'm really interested to see if he's good or not. Interesting. He made a sick throw in whatever his last preseason game was. Did you see that on Twitter? I did. Yeah, I yeah. did. He yeah. wasn't overall that great though in the preseason. But... I know he'll be fine, Brian. Just we'll see. Tr- trust him. We'll see. <laughs> All right, everybody. So we didn't get to our picks. Uh, maybe we'll tweet out our week one picks. I'm going to tweet. I'll tweet out my week one picks. It'll be my first tweet of the fall. Tweet the picks. Yeah. All right, everyone. Hashtag tweet the picks. Hashtag tweet the picks. <laughs> we did it. We created a bit. All right, let's go out on a high note. Thanks for listening, everybody. Giants Among Main, radiofreebrooklyn.org. <laughs>